as you can guess, I am not Pastor Mark. I am Pastor Sandy. I'm the children's pastor here at Linwood. I also lead our grief share ministry, and it is an honor to be here. So, since I am the children's pastor, there's something that we like to do down in Kids Way sometimes to get the kids into a story, and we use imagery, so I need everybody. Is everybody ready? Yeah. Can you do this with me today? Yeah. All right. So today, I would love for you to close your eyes. So everybody do that. Those of you at home, I'd love for you to do this with us as well. Now, for, for a brief moment, I want you to envision that you were no longer able to see. That one day you went to open your eyes and, and there was nothing there. What would you miss seeing Would it be a sunset? Would it be seeing your family? How about things and and people around you that you were no longer able to find because you weren't able to see? For those of you who are at home, I want you to even think about for a moment, do you remember what color shirt I was wearing before you closed your eyes today? For all of you here, could you find your car this morning? All right, go ahead and open your eyes. Thanks for, thanks for doing that with me. So our story today is actually from Mark chapter 8, And we're going to, it takes place in Bethsaida. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit about Bethsaida because I think it's very important that we understand kind of the setting of where our Bible story takes place. And so Bethsaida was a fishing town of a few thousand located on the northern sea of Galilee. It was the birthplace of the apostle Philip as well as Peter and Andrew. So there were some great people that came from there. The people of Bethsaida had been a witness to several of Jesus' miracles. Miracles like Jesus walking on the water at the Sea of Galilee in Mark 6. Jesus feeding the 5,000 in Luke 9. And our story today of Jesus healing the blind man. So these were no small miracles And probably there's a good chance that most of the people that lived there had either seen a miracle because of the magnitude of these miracles, or they have known someone who had seen them. But the problem was that it didn't change them. They didn't repent of their sins. Even seeing what Jesus could do and having him walk along in their presence, they didn't get it. And so in Matthew 11, Jesus curses Bethsaida. And we're going to look at that scripture. Matthew 11, verses 20 and 21. Then Jesus began to denounce, which means to publicly declare something evil. The towns in which most of the miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have been repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So why did he pick these comparisons? Because Tyre and Sidon were actually 
pagan communities. And so what Jesus was telling them that you've had the ability to see all of these these things, but you haven't repented, but a pagan community that experienced these miracles would have. That's pretty strong, isn't it? If I was down the hall, I'd probably ask the kids after I read scripture like this, I always ask the kids, does that sound like the side of Jesus you want to be on? He cursed them because they just didn't get it. So now that you have an idea of where our story takes place, we're going to move into chapter, or we're going to move into the book of Mark in chapter 8. So Jesus and his disciples were traveling to Bethsaida. And we're going to look in verse 22. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Now, based on what we just talked about, about Bethsaida, there's a good chance that these people weren't his friends, as in other miracles when their friends brought them. Like the paralyzed man, his friends brought him because they believed that Jesus could heal him. These people didn't necessarily believe that. They wanted to see what Jesus would do. They wanted to see a miracle. And so... The other part of this is is that most likely the blind man was not considered socially cared for because he was probably considered an outcast. Because in Jesus' time, people who were blind were considered to be cursed by God. And we're going to see this in John chapter 9 when we're going to look at the scripture here in verse 1. These were the disciples who were with Jesus communicating this as they saw a blind man. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither. This man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So it's more likely that they brought him for a show. You know, as I, as I was reading that that verse and talking about that it was to show you know when he says that it happened that the work of God might be displayed one of my favorite stories to share from the Ronald McDonald house was shortly after I got there I was I was 10 years there as their operations manager and so I worked with all of the families which was about 1300 families a year that would come through and we had one family that was flown in from Rapid City and little Liam who was three had spinal meningitis. And over the course of weeks, he he got worse instead of better. And there even came a point where the doctor started to have conversations with Liam's parents saying that that maybe they needed to look at starting some end-of-life conversations. And I remember Liam's mom coming over, and her name was Sandy, And I remember her looking at me and telling me I was in that meeting and God told me no. And I'm going to listen to him. And it has been so beautiful to see what God has done through this little boy. Because when he opened his eyes, they realized he was deaf and he was blind. Now at three, he didn't have a lot of vocabulary, but he knew what a lion sounded like. So he would get down on the floor and he would do circles and growl like a lion. 
But the beautiful thing that happened in all this that, that God brought into this story was that Sandy was a teacher. And with her teaching skills, she was actually able to teach Liam how to do sign language by putting their hands, he would put his hands on your hands while you do sign language, and that's how he, he hears you. All of his classmates get name tags with Braille, and they're all, every year they're communicated that way. Sandy goes out and she does conferences around the country where she teaches people about how to work with the deaf and blind. God has brought some incredible beauty through what could have been a, a massive tragedy. But God had his hand in it all the time. So now we're going to look at verse 23. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? So the crowd that brought the man to Jesus was probably kind of disappointed right now that Jesus took him away from them so they didn't get to be a part of this. And I can imagine, in trying to envision this, that when Jesus took his hand, it probably started out a lot like this. But the farther they got away from what was familiar to him, the blind man, the sounds, the smells, the people, this probably turned a little bit more into this. There was a trust that had to be there being moved out of that place that he was comfortable in, that place that he knew. And Jesus had brought the man to a place where he was vulnerable and that he really needed to trust Jesus. And I can't imagine that that was very easy in that moment. But how many times do we find ourselves in those situations where things that are going on around us we're, we're unfamiliar with? He wants us to trust. Because some of the greatest and most faith-growing times in our lives happen when we are completely alone with God. But that doesn't happen very often in our busy lives. We have to stop and we have to be diligent and we have to take that time to make sure that we're walking with him closely and that we can hear him. The other part of this passage that's pretty significant is to the blind, touch is very significant. It's a sign of compassion. It's a sign of trust. It's a sign that you want to be part of my world. And so when we look at this, and knowing that Jesus could heal him any way he wanted to, Jesus could have looked at him and said, you're healed. Right? Because he's that powerful. But Jesus knew that in order to reach this man where he needed to reach him, to be able to connect with him in a way that he needed, he used touch with him. And God will use all different, different ways in our lives, and he'll use different people to meet us where we're at and meet us where we need him, just like what happened here. 
Then he asked, do you see anything? So we're going to look at verse 24 and 25. He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So since the blind man could identify that they looked like trees and that the people moving around, it's most likely that the man was not born blind and that something had happened in his life that had caused him to not be able to see anymore. And Jesus, you know, there's, there's some commentaries out there because Jesus healed the man in stages. And there were commentaries that some of them I was kind of blown away by, but some of them really made sense. You know, Jesus could have healed him in, in any stage that he wanted to. But I think in this we can see that sometimes healing doesn't come all at once. Sometimes it takes stages. The other thing that as I read this, it was interesting for me, is that in verse 24, it says the man looked up. So this was something that the man did. And it wasn't quite enough. Vision was blurry. All he could see, things moving around that looked like trees. But in verse 25... Jesus put his hands once again on the man's eyes and his eyes were opened. His sight was clearly restored and he saw everything clearly. His eyes were opened as only the Lord can do. His transformation had gone from blindness to blurry vision to restoration. The man stepped out of what was familiar let go of his expectation that maybe he would never see and experienced his eyes being opened by the compassion, grace, and mercy of our loving Lord. Whatever had happened in his life that caused him not to be able to see, those chains were broken. And Wade Hughes Martin said this beautifully. Sometimes to really see, we need a second touch of a mighty God. Never settle for distorted vision. Sometimes we just need that that second touch to not take it on ourselves, to just let the Lord do his healing on our lives. So then as we look at the scripture, Jesus' compassion for giving him his eyesight, that could have been enough, right? But here's what we're going to look at in verse 26. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Bethsaida had proven itself not to be healthy spiritually. Nor it probably wasn't a very kind place for the blind man since, since blindness was considered a curse. People probably weren't very kind to him. And Jesus cared enough about him to tell him, don't go back there. Go home, but not through there. And as I was as I was going through this scripture, you know, it kind of kind of hit home for me. 
A lot of you know that when you hear me speak that I share a lot about my story. And I experienced this multi-stage healing in my life. So, probably close to 20 years ago now, I was in an abusive relationship. My partner was a, he was a federal agent, so you know what? I had it in my mind that he was going to take care of me and all was going to be good and I was going to be safe and my little boy was going to be taken care of. And I soon discovered that what I expected to happen and what was going to happen were two totally different things. I remember in the, when I look back and I think about that first stage of the healing that happened, that night I was actually beaten up. And, and I called the police and little did I know that because of who he was, and we were on the reservation, they actually escorted my son and I off in the middle of the night, told us we could take what we could fit in my car and that we had to leave. So here I am with my black eyes and my little boy not knowing what to do. He started school the next morning and I, I just didn't know what I was going to do. And so I had to call my parents in the middle of the night and, and ask them to help me. So they got me a hotel room in North Sioux City. And so my son and I were living out of our car in a hotel room. And I wondered, how did I get here? So the next day I went into my bank because I wanted to make sure I was getting my paycheck and I wanted to make sure that he couldn't take it. And so I was talking to the ladies at the front, and it was, I would have never expected who God sent to help me. Darren, our bank president, came out, and he said, Sandy, come in with me. So I went with him. And so he asked me what was going on, and so I just kind of broke down. Didn't have any intention of doing that that day. But God had sent this man to help me. And so Darren said, can you give me 24 hours? He goes, are you good? Are you good where you're at? And I'm like, I'm going to have to be. And in 24 hours time, he found me a place to live that was right across the, the street from the school because he knew I worked in Sioux City, so I had a commute. And so then my son was able to walk over from school and um, he was able to go home until I could come home. He helped get all my utilities set up. He helped people come and help move us. He got everything. He even worked out to where I had cheaper rent so that I could afford that as a single mom. I never expected God to send a bank president. And so as time went on, I, I had started to heal, but I don't think really. I think that I, I took for granted that I was in a place where I didn't have to be scared every single day until the day that I came home from work. And apparently my landlord had a conversation with this man and let him move back into my house during the day while I was gone. And so my new place that was my safe place no longer was my safe place. And so the abuse went on and and I had a job at Sears Portrait Studio down in Sioux City. So some of you, when you hear, I was, used to be a photographer. That was my, my start in that. But 
they offered me the Sioux Falls store because it was a bigger studio. And so I thought this was my, this was my chance to go. Well, lucky me, he decided he was going to go too. And I wasn't quite healed enough to be able to say no. So we moved to Sioux Falls, and, and we were here probably about less than a week. And I was having to go back and forth and work from the Sioux City store and the Sioux Falls store. So we drove down to Sioux City on the weekend. And I found out that he had left my son on the reservation so that he could go hang out with whoever he wanted to hang out with. And obviously I wasn't okay with that. And I made the mistake of saying something. And that led to the first time that my son ever saw him lay hands on me. And my son screamed from the back seat in a voice that I don't even know where that came from. And in a moment, I was fearing for my son. And I I was like immediately going to the Lord's hand. I don't know what's going to happen in this moment, but I got to do what I have to do to protect my son. And I believe with my whole heart as I look back now that the Lord stepped in in that place. Because Carl pulled over the truck and he, he led us out on the interstate and he told us to get out. So here I stand, two black eyes, and my little boy stand along the interstate. And I'm like, how did I get here? But little did I know that God had already started the process. He had already started the process to show me that the one that couldn't keep me safe was not important. He was the one that could keep me safe. He was the one that would bring restoration. And so I let my friend know that we were along the interstate and she was on her way to come get us and then he came back and he picked us up. And only by God's grace, I had peace enough to get in that truck. I don't know why I did, but God was telling me it was okay. And we didn't speak the whole rest of the way to Sioux Falls. And we pulled in the driveway, which remember I'd only been there a week. And the next thing I know, my house is completely surrounded by law enforcement. God was showing me that this is what it looks like when I protect you. And he ended up being arrested, and it was a big... I was so humiliated because here I'd been here a week, and my neighbors are like, what is going on right now? But when he was arrested, and, and I was quiet and I was able to sit and just process what was going on I could have sworn God was sitting right next to me when he said I'm giving you an out you need to take it and so I packed up everything that was his and I put it in his truck and I called his family and I said you need to come get this I'm done and he He went to court and he was all mad that I sent all his stuff back down. And then the judge looks at him and says, you don't stay in South Dakota, you leave. Like, I'd never heard a judge say that. But the judge sitting in Canton, South Dakota said, we don't want you here. It was ironic because you know what, that's that's how I felt the night that I was told 
to leave my home. But he experienced that because our God stepped in. And from that time, you know, that was a process. It was a process of healing. People that go through domestic violence, whether it's a man or a woman, there is a process. There is a process to realize it's wrong. There is a process to, to get the ability to leave, and there is a process to heal. And I held on to a lot of things for a long time until one day, ironically, it was after I started here, and I, we'd had a grief share, and we were, we were talking a lot about things that we hold on to. And I went to leave here, and I, I drove home, and I was just sobbing. Like, I had to pull over because I was crying so hard. And I felt him telling me again, my girl, you need to let this stuff go because you can't do what I need you to do until you let the rest of this stuff go. And so I came home, and I, I just opened my computer because I just couldn't write fast enough, and all those things that had that had hurt me and, and broken my heart and, and had broken me that I was holding on to so tight that I was holding with both hands so that nobody else would hurt me or so that nothing else would hurt me or so that people wouldn't see. I let that go. I opened my hands and I let all of those things go. And in doing that, Jesus was able to take my hand and he was able to start moving me forward in my process of healing. You know, Oxford Dictionary defines the word expectation as a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. Well, my expectation of what my relationship was going to look like was not even close. How many times in our own lives, you know, expectations, when we think we know what's going to happen, it's comfortable, right? It's familiar. But how many times do expectations go really wrong? Unmet expectations can lead to struggling in ways that we had no idea that we could struggle. In no, way, no ways that we would expect. So our bottom line today is sometimes clinging to Jesus means letting go of expectations. Letting go of those things that we think are going to happen or the way that we think it's going to look or the way we think it should happen and we hold on to those so tight because if they don't go that way, then our world flips upside down. But here's the thing. When we hold on with both hands, we can't, we can't cling to him. You know, there were a lot of things that I had to let go of in my own journey. The feelings of that I wasn't enough because if I, if I would have been better or I would have been more, then I wouldn't have to go through that. But the fact of the matter is, he was wrong. 
And I am more because of whose I am. So today, I want, this morning, I want you guys to really, to really think about this. Because I want for every one of you to experience what I experienced that night, that my tears wouldn't stop. And I finally let go of those things that I was clinging to. You know, for you, is it anger? Maybe with God? Maybe something that you thought should go one way didn't? Maybe grief from the loss of a loved one? You know, I can tell you right now, I expected, and my expectation was, that my son would one day bury me, not the other way around. And I held that. I held on to that. Maybe it was a diagnosis that wasn't expected. Maybe of you or someone that you love. Fear, doubt, rejection. Maybe it's abandonment or disappointment. Maybe it's a struggle in a relationship. Maybe there's jealousy. You look at the people around you and you expect that you work just as hard as them and you should be able to have all the things that they have. And we hold that. We hold that tight. Maybe it's addiction. We sure hold that tight. We don't want people to see that. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe there's something that we long for so much and we are having to patiently wait and we are getting a little bit impatient. Maybe it's shame or maybe it's guilt or maybe it's pride that we think we've got this all together. But we sure don't, do we? Sometimes clinging to Jesus means letting go of those expectations. So what do you need to leave with God today? What is it that you are clinging to so hard that he can't take you by the hand and he can't walk you out of that place that he knows is not good for you so that he can bring healing into your life? What is that thing today? I'm going to encourage you this morning. There's, there's notebooks all around you in the sanctuary. If you're at home, I encourage you to do the same thing. Write it down. Write it down what it is that's coming to you, that you are holding on to, that you're saying, God, I just need to give it back. This isn't mine to carry. This isn't mine to hold with both hands. And I want to encourage you to fold that up and I want, to, I want to encourage you to bring it up here to the cross today. Lay it before him. And the most important thing is once you lay it before him, I want you to walk away from it. I want you to truly know that you are giving it up to him. Because sometimes we're really good about saying, okay, God, I'll give you that. But here, let me hold on for just a little bit more. Oh, wait, no, are you going to handle that? Okay, but wait, no. Oh, wait, I can do something better. We're really good about that, aren't we? I want you to give it to God today. Lay it before him. The altars are going to be open. 
You know, we already started our morning in communion with him. We're not that far away. Be present with him. Pray with him. He wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to bring healing into your life. And I have some good news for you today. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or what you're holding on to. Because Isaiah 57, 18 tells us, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. None of it is a surprise to God. None of it is a surprise to our mighty healer. In a commentary written by David Smith, he shares, it's quite possible to walk through life even side by side with Jesus, having eyes only half open. Because our eyes can only be fully open through the transforming power of the cross. Amen? He is waiting for you. He is waiting for you to let go of those expectations that are weighing on your heart and that you're holding on to so tightly because he wants to take your hand and he wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust him enough that you'll step out of those those comfortable situations and cling to him. He wants you to cling to him as he moves you out of the place that you shouldn't be into the life that he had prepared for you long before you were even born. He loves you. And I think that's one of the hardest things for us to sometimes see. When I, when I work with people that have a hard time with accepting that, that we are loved I'll actually tell them to pray and say, I love you too. Because when we say, I love you too, it means that we are acknowledging that we're loved first, right? And as we say that over and over again, the lies get pushed out by the truth. And we start to believe that he loves us. Frank Graff wrote a hymn, and it's called, Does Jesus Care When My Heart Is Pained? And I want to read to you the beginning. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the ways grows weary and long. Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long night dreary, I know my Savior cares. Friends, he's reaching out his hand to you today. Are you willing to take it? Let's pray. Oh, Father, I just want to thank you for loving us as much as you do and for not allowing us to stay in those places that are not healthy for us, that are not good for us. Lord, I thank you for healing and for the gifts that you give to us. Lord, even if we feel maybe today that we're not worthy of your healing and your restoration, I pray that we, we remember the scripture from Isaiah that you've seen what we do, but you will bring healing. Lord, today I, I pray that 
that people are willing to lay before you those things that they're holding on to and take your hand so that you can walk with us. Lord, we love you. And all of this I pray in your precious and beautiful name. Amen.